to look with us. We're in Romans chapter 16, uh, the last chapter of Romans, um, coming to the close of the book. So we just, Paul's was talking about his desire to come to Rome and to teach them and preach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that his plan was to come through Spain, going to Spain to stop in Rome and be with them. He asked for their prayers that God's grace and power be with him and upon him. And now we're coming to 16 and here we're going to see the, uh, the greetings, the salutations made to people that he knew at Rome. And, uh, so we're going to read, we'll, we'll just read it in parts I guess. It's chapter 16, verse number 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Chinchuria, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. So Phoebe, the sister, if you look all the way to the very end of the book, below verse 27, written to the Romans from Corinthus, and sent by Phoebe, servant of the church at Chantria. So they didn't have UPS or USPS here. So these letters that Paul wrote, they were hand-delivered. And Paul's going to send somebody from the church there where he's at to deliver this letter to Rome. And Phoebe is going to be the means that Paul's letter is going to get to Rome. You know, you think about how the church operates today. I believe you can see it here. And I, I realize this this scripture, it's not meaty scripture, we'll say, but there's still things that we can lift out of even scripture like this, these first 16 verses. So as somebody is going to leave this church and go to another, or if somebody is called to preach the gospel, uh, I, I remember this for me personally, I was called to go to Antioch and preach, and uh, when we got there, Denny got up and he said, I've never heard this man preach before, but Greg and Gerald and Danny Little and these men have recommended him and I trust their word and I trust that he's a man of God. So uh, as well, if, if somebody's going to join another church, move their membership from here to another, they, they request a letter. And in that letter, we say this is somebody that was faithful, that exhibited the grace of God in their life, and, and we approve, and our hands are uh, upon them, that these are children of God, and that they're free to come to your church. So it's, it's a commendation, really. And so that's not something that was invented in these years, but here Paul, here comes Phoebe to Rome, delivering this letter from Paul, and he says, I commend her unto you that she's a, a servant of God. She's been a sucker of many. She's uh, got work in the Lord to do. You receive her as a saint. And whatever she needs, you take care of her. So Paul here is letting them know this, this is a saint of God. Somebody that they've never seen before. They've never heard before. They, they don't know who she is or where she's from. And in this day, they, they would send in spies to the church to, to arrest and to kill and to cast in prison. So they, they had to be careful about how they operated. 
And Paul says, I commend her unto you. She's a servant of the church. And there we send letters of commendation from the church. We ordain ministers. And that doesn't make a preacher, but that is means to bear witness to those that don't know us that this is somebody that we are convinced and persuaded that the hand of the Lord is upon. The Lord has called them to do this work. His grace has been manifested in that. And others that don't know, they can look to that and say, I, I trust that word. So though they don't know Phoebe, they trust Paul's word. They accept her and bring her in when she delivers this letter to them. Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So if you look in Acts chapter 18, Paul's going to be preaching the gospel, and he dwells with Priscilla and Aquila. It's a husband and wife. And they're tent makers like Paul, so he lives with them and works with them while he's preaching the gospel in this city. And of course they're converted under the gospel of Paul and they become a great benefit to the church. And you read about them through the New Testament really, mentions made of them. But in Acts chapter 18, there's a man named Apollos and he's uh, teaching and preaching the word of God, but uh, what it is, we don't know. But his understanding is just, it's not quite there yet. And Priscilla and Aquila bring him in and, and teach him the scriptures so that he might be better equipped to preach the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that he was a preacher because in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, though I or Apollos or any other man, and I watered and Apollos planted, and I may have that backwards, but it's there. So here's a, a, a two people that labored for the cause of the gospel and it appears that they're in Rome now as well uh, working for the Lord. So greet, and let's just say this, greet and salute all through these verses the same word, the same meaning, to enfold in the arms. So we hug one another. And you know... I don't know if you've ever thought about it. But ain't it something how natural that is? I mean, as a church, that's, that's natural. Though any, anywhere else, you're going to be hard-pressed to hug a bunch of people that you likely don't know. But at the church, that's natural. I believe that's born in by the grace of God, the love for the people of God. And that's what this word means, enfold in the arms. So Paul is sending his love for those people that he knows, and certainly there's many that he does not know, at the churches at Rome. My helpers in Christ, who for my life have laid down their own necks. So in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, Paul's going to be in Ephesus. There's going to be a great uproar. They're going to take Paul and, and almost tear him in two. But most likely it was there, Priscilla and Aquila was, they were willing to give their own necks that Paul would be released and the gospel be continued. That's not a love of the world. And so greet them. 
Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So they've got a house, and they've got a church that meets in the house. You know, maybe in our neck of the woods, there's a lot of churches in one community. But here, there, there was no church building that wasn't allowed. Christianity was very much outlawed. It was seen as rebellious to the government of Rome, and it was seen as a heresy to the utmost by the Jew. It was seen as foolishness to the Greek, and there was no church buildings, and where they met was in people's houses. And so there's a church at their house. Salute my well-beloved Apaintus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor upon us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So in these scriptures, there's 16 men nine women mentioned to salute, to enfold in the arms. Five churches, all of those in households, not in public buildings. And there's four married couples. So the churches of Christ, both men and women, married and single, and churches in households, you see how the church is made up here. There were people God provided and God saved people that had means and that had a house large enough for a church to congregate in and to say a number of how many were going. would That would be pure speculation. But God provided places for them to gather. There they gathered and there the gospel went out. And notice now, Paul's remembering all of these brethren that had been a blessing and a help to him throughout his ministry. These are just the ones that Paul has been with, that Paul has known. And Paul or one of these men that's with him as he's writing this scripture. The churches of Christ salute you. Recognizing that whether in Rome or in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Philippi, wherever that they're at, the mission of the church is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out. So the church at Corinth 
They desire the church at Rome to succeed in their mission and the church at Rome otherwise because they're in the same battle that the gospel of Christ go out and the name of God be exalted. So now to verse 16 with a holy kiss. Salute one another with a holy kiss. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 20, And the brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, Greet you one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14, Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Judas now, probably the most famous kiss that there was, Judas kissed the Lord Jesus and he kissed Him in betrayal. He was betraying the Lord to the hand of the enemy that he would be killed. But this is, this is something different. That was feigned. That was fake. That was not of love. But in the church, the brethren greet one another in love towards one another. This is not a, the only place. It's all through the New Testament. So the church is to be established in love for God and in love for each other. That we stand together, arm in arm, a family, for the glory and for the honor of the God that called us out of sin into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, there's probably much more in those verses, but that's all we're going to cover there. So verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So we've got these false teachers and false prophets, and the word doctrine, it's just instruction or, or teaching. So the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say that, that's what the Lord taught. When we talk about the doctrine of the apostles, that is the, the material that the apostles taught. So Paul's saying here, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. So divisions is just exactly what it sounds like. A disunion or dissension. So you think about these, these false teachers, and I fully recognize this. There's a multitude of people today that would say what I teach is false and that I'm a false teacher teaching the doctrine of the devil. I fully recognize that that happens today in our world. And I, I can't help that. But you know, our, our desire is to teach the Word of God. And the Word of God is there as we go through it. You can look in the Word of God. You can see whether what I say is 
matching up to the Word of God. And so the, the Word is the means that we know whether what somebody is teaching is right or is not. So they're causing division, disunion, or dissension, and offenses, a trap stick, or a snare. So they're, they're setting up traps and creating disunions contrary, now that means near, from beside, or in the vicinity of, the doctrine which ye have learned. So they are creating a disunion from the teachings and from the instruction that they've been taught and have learned. What they are saying is contrary to the teaching of Paul the Apostle and is contrary to the teaching of the Word of God. How are we going to recognize them? By the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the apostles. Now I'm going to tell you what you can do. You can pick out some scripture from the Old Testament. Now the Old Testament is types and shadows, and I'm not saying at all that it's not the Word of God, but a lot of the Old Testament is like revelation. It's not clear on what the exact interpretation is if you leave it by itself. Revelation is like that. I realize Isaiah 53 it's very easy for us to look at Isaiah 53 and see what the prophet is speaking about there. But you know, there's, there's prophecies that's not that clear and easy to determine the interpretation. It'd be very easy to take Scripture like that and twist that and interpret it in a way that doesn't line up with the New Testament gospel that we have expounded and explained to us. So we've got, we've got the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is explained and revealed by the apostles and by the gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I see something in the Old Testament that I can't find in the New Testament that doesn't line up with the New Testament, then what I'm seeing in the Old is not right. You see what I'm saying? The New Testament is the full revelation of the plan of God in Jesus Christ. And so here are those that's creating disunion and dissension in the brethren. Now I, I say this. The Lord says in, in Proverbs... One of the seven things that the Lord hates is he that soweth discord among the brethren, creating dissension and disunion amongst the church of the living God. That's not too hard to understand. And here are those, and they're not just creating division between brother and sister in the family of God. They're creating dissension from the gospel and from the true message of the New Testament. So you mark them. That word mark means to take aim at, to spy, or to regard. You make note of those that what they teach is out of bounds with the Word of God. 
And he says, and avoid them to shun, decline, off, or away. The church has no business allowing that which is contrary to the Word of God to be taught, to be proclaimed, or to be preached from its place. But you know, we ought to, we ought to be critical readers of the Word of God. And I say this, I, uh, you talk about a great enemy. It's what you've always believed, what you've been handed down from uh, man and what the Word of God says. How should I read and meditate on and study the Word of God? I, should, I shouldn't be looking to see... You know, I, I could look at Romans chapter 9. You want controversy? Look at Romans 9. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Where he's speaking about the election and the predestination of God in Jesus Christ. Now I can read that and say, now how does this fit what I believe? And I can do as Peter says, I, I'm unstable and I'm going to rest them to fit what I believe. That's not the way we ought to read the New Testament. But when I look at that and study, now I, I should say, what is he saying exactly right here? And now you're going to have a struggle with tradition. We're no different than the Jews were in this day that struggled with tradition, that struggled with ceremony, and that struggled with bringing in the Gentiles. We're no different than them. But we're going to struggle with that that we've always been taught, that that we've always heard with what the Bible really says. So when we study the Word of God, we are to study and to look and say, God, what exactly does this Scripture say? I, I believe that that's very important, that that could be very beneficial to you individually and to the church as a whole that we know what the Bible says and not what I think about what the Bible says. You hear it said, well, it doesn't matter what I think, but this is what I think. Well, what good is that? I don't want to hear that mess. Tell me what the Bible says. So here they are, they're creating disunion. So Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as you have us for an example. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here he's saying in Romans, recognize them that are contrary to doctrine and also recognize them that, that are teaching the sound doctrine of God. If it's the right thing... Now, what's going on in the minds of the church here? There's discernment going... There's some judgment going on. They're looking and they're listening at what's being taught and at what's being preached. They're measuring that up to what the Word of God says and saying, is this the truth? Or is what they're teaching me false? And when we discover whether it's true or false, we're to mark them as so. That's a false teacher. 
That one's the real thing. The real thing we ought to support. We ought to pray for. We ought to encourage. And we ought to listen. That it's not, we ought to avoid. There's no good going to come from false doctrines. False doctrines produce false hopes and false Christians. And so, for they that are such, so look at, let's look at some of the character here. They're divisive. In Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 19, they be, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. You know what? They are divisive and they're separating themselves and they're just one step above you and they're one step above the church. And here's the truth now. If you'll do like me, you'll be a whole lot better off. You know what? They're sensual. They're into their self and they're separate from you because they're better. They... Uh, snares contrary to the doctrine. Colossians 2 verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So see the tradition, that that's passed down from man to man if it gets out of the Word of God, then what we've got is trouble. And it ought to be cast away. So they are divisive. They're snaring. We'll, we'll cover that a little better later. And they're self-serving. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. So in Jude, again, verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. You know what they're looking for? They're not concerned about serving the Lord Jesus Christ first. They're not concerned whether you are genuinely and truly saved but they're concerned with a ruckus and an uproar and they're concerned with moves to an altar that it would make them to be promoted. Their desire is for their own belly, for their own fulfillment, for their own glory. They're not concerned whether people come to the altar are genuinely convicted, whether they've been genuinely drawn by God. They're not concerned whether when they come they really get saved. They just want people to come. We just want an altar full of people. And we want to be able to say that we had X many saved today. They're not serving the Lord. But as he says in Jude, they've gone in the way of Cain. What was Cain? Cain was jealous of the real thing. Cain wanted glory for what he had produced. And when he did not get it, he hated that that was real. And he slew his brother. 
ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. What Balaam do? God told Balaam three times, you can't curse my people. But Balaam wanted the money. You know the story. Balak the king, he came to Balaam and said, I'll pay you this much money and I'll make you this in the kingdom if you'll just pronounce a curse against these people that's come up out of Egypt. And so Balaam was willing to walk over God's word that he might gain the reward. Do you think that goes on today as well? Greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah from the book of Numbers. Moses and Aaron, God appointed and made them the heads of Israel. Aaron being the high priest, Moses being the leader, and Korah and the princes and the men of renown of Israel, they rose up and said, you have took too much on you, Moses, and we can do what you do, and we can do it better than you. And they rebelled against the authority that God had put in place. And so in doing so, you know what they were looking for? For their own good. All three of these, Cain wanted glory for his works. Balaam wanted money to benefit his pocketbook. And Korah wanted the glory and the power that Moses had. All of them were looking to serve their own belly and their own benefit. And the God's truth is they didn't care a nickel about the people of Israel. Cain didn't care about his own brother. But he wanted his way and his glory. God help us to to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and not our own belly. So they're self-servering. Murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They're looking at men and holding them in admiration as an advantage for them. They want you to come to the altar, not because you need something, but because it looks good for them. Because they can add that to their book. They can add that to their name. Serving their own belly. And by good words, fair speech, plausibility. That's a big one. That sounds plausible to me. You ever heard that? You could simplify that and say, that sounds like it could be true. Ain't that the way the devil is? It sounds like it could be the right thing. That sounds like the right thing. And when you add in, as he said in Colossians, when you add in the traditions of man and all of the the moves and motions of the flesh and the way the carnal mind desires and thinks, then you've got a real battle. So they're teaching something that sounds legitimate in 2 Corinthians 11. For such are false apostles, 
deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Satan's men appearing as apostles, even Satan himself appearing as an angel of light, deceitful workers, and they speak plausible things. And really it's things that the flesh of man would desire to hear. And this I say, this is Colossians 2 and 4, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So smooth speaking, they sound legitimate, good words and fair speeches, elegance of language, commendation, or adoration. I'm going to build you up so that you like me even more. I'm going to boast in you. I'm going to brag on your children. And I'm going to use all of these things to get you to favor me more. I'm taking men's persons and I'm using them for my advantage. I'm looking for my gain, not for the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with these good words and fair speeches, they're deceiving the hearts of the simple. So that word means not bad, innocent, or unsuspecting. The simple, and I I think the picture is this, a sheep in a field with a mountain lion stalking it, and the sheep's got no idea what's about to happen. Unaware of what's going on. And you know who these false teachers are? You know who they're preying on? People that are unaware of what's really going on. You're going to have a hard time deceiving somebody that's established in the New Testament and in the the Word of God as a whole. Wouldn't you say that's true? If, If I know what the Bible says and I know what some of the words mean, and I have an understanding of what he's saying in this Scripture, then you're going to have a lot harder time to persuade me otherwise versus somebody that's got no understanding whatsoever. You've got family that don't go to church. You could tell them the Bible says this in John, and they'll believe you. You know why? They don't know. Who's going to be deceived? Those that don't know. Those that are simple and with no understanding. Proverbs 14, 15. Listen to this. The simple believeth every word. Greg read it a a, a service or two ago that the Bereans were more noble because they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. The simple's not doing that. The simple's not searching the Scriptures. Even when something is said that doesn't line up with their personal beliefs, and they say, wait a minute now, that don't sound right. You know a way we could settle that? Let's go to the Scripture and see whether it's right or not. 
Not that doesn't sound right, and I'm not going to hear any more of that, but to search the Scriptures. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. He's paying attention to what's going on, and he's exercising judgment and wisdom as he goes. And so the simple are the ones that are going to be deceived. You know what we could do? We could grow in the Word of God and be established in the truth and the winds of doctrine of the world would be far less likely to move us or to rock our vessel if we were settled in what the Word of God says. We ought to take advantage We ought to take advantage of the opportunities we have to hear, to listen, and to learn. And when we've got a moment at the house, we ought to pour over the Word of God ourselves, And not just read flippantly through it to get a chapter done and quit, but let's look into this and show me, God, what this says. Let me be established that this is what the Bible says. And when when it's written in your heart that this is what the Bible says, the devil can't move you off of that rock once you're established on it. God help us to not be simple, but to take advantage of the doctrine of the Word of God. So they are... They are deceiving the simple... So verse 19, For your obedience is come abroad unto all. I'm glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So Paul recognizes their obedience to the gospel. Paul's not implying that they're simple but he's making them aware that they would know what's going on in the world. And listen in Matthew 10, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So the people of God are to be discerning of what's going on round about them. And Paul says, I'm aware of your obedience to the gospel, to the the change of life that the regeneration of Christ has brought unto you. But I would have you wise, so I would determine, choose, or prefer you to be wise unto that which is good and simple, unmixed, or harmless. The pitcher there is you've got a, a cup of water. You've got a pitcher of water. And it's unmixed right now. That's water. You know what that is? That's good. And that'll be a benefit to you. It'll help you. But you know if you mix in some poison, if you were to mix in some, uh, some acid into that and stir that up, now you've got something that's it's not pure anymore. And if you drink that, that's going to cause harm to you. And so here, Paul says, I want you to be aware. 
everybody that's serving the gospel, not all of it is pure. Some of it is mixed. And if you eat that in, it's going to be harmful to your spiritual life. I mean, it looks like water. Maybe it, maybe it even tastes like water. It sounds like the right thing. It looks like the right thing. But does it line up with a scripture? I can make a big racket and clap my hands so loud that it rings your ears and cut a flip over the pulpit and sweat bucketfuls. And I'm going to tell you the God's truth. If you're loud enough and sweat enough and clap loud enough, that's enough for most people to say that's preaching and that's the real thing. That's just like looking at that water and saying that's, that's pure water. Do you really know that? Do you really know that that's pure water? No. We're going to have to get a little farther than what it looks like and what it sounds like. The devil can appear to be an angel of light. He can appear to be the right thing. He can put on the right clothes. He can do the right motions. He looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. That's what he says in Revelation. So how do you know? By the doctrine. Don't go by the way they act. Don't do that. Don't go by how loud they are. People's minds today are so simple. They get loud enough and sweat enough and boy, he walked through heavens today. And they never said one thing that lines up with the Word of God. Ain't that something? We ought to have a greater discernment than that. We ought to know the truth. We ought to stand for the truth and not the act or the show of the truth. That's right. That's right. That's hard today. People disagree with that today, but that's the God's truth. I can get loud and cut a show and never say anything that's true. It ain't in the show. It's in the Word of God. And if you're not careful, a lot of that will become tradition too. A lot of that will become, well, so-and-so preached that way and that's the way I need to preach. Habits and traditions and the truth of God left behind. God help be wise about that. Be wise as a serpent. Be aware of your surroundings and know them that labor in the truth and know them that cause division and disunion among you. Mark them and avoid them. And verse 20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.